This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Zach McCulley. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Sally Michael, who is the co-founder of Truth78, and she's the author of many Christian educational resources and books that are aimed especially at the spiritual formation and enrichment of children. And Sally has just authored a new book. It's titled More Than a Story, Exploring the Message of the Bible with Children. Now, this is the second volume in a set of two. The first was focused on the Old Testament. This one's focused on the New Testament. Um, Sally, congratulations on the book. Thank you for writing it, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me to join you. It's been a, it's a, it's a privilege. Great. Well, Sally, I've, I've, I've mentioned to you this, I've mentioned this to you before um, about how how my family's really benefited from uh, the Old Testament volume of more than a story, uh, and we're we're eagerly now working through this new volume that you've written. Uh, but before we discuss the book, um, because some of our listeners may be unfamiliar, I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us more about your background and and more about uh, Truth Seventy Eight, what it is as an organization. I would love to do that. Um, my background probably is a little different than you would think. I was not saved until I was 13 years old, so I didn't grow up uh, with a Bible in my home. I didn't grow up with uh, Christian parents until I was in sixth grade. When my mom was saved, and my sister and I broke open our piggy banks and got our first Bibles and started reading them. And then I was saved, and my sister was saved. Um, I was 13 years old at the time. My sister was 14. And um, in God's providence, he sent my dad, who was in the U.S. Navy, to Ecuador uh, to work at the embassy. And we were had the privilege of attending a missionary kids' school. So from uh, seventh grade on, I was able to go to Christian schools, uh, first in Ecuador and then in Norfolk, Virginia. And that's really where I started learning about the Bible, I think. And uh, I then went to a Christian college where I met David. I majored in Christian education. But I would say that's not really how I learned to teach the Bible to children. I did start teaching the Bible to children when I was in college, but then I had two children and it was sitting in my corner, so to speak, and praying and asking the Lord to show me how to make his word real to my own two daughters, that the Lord really taught me how to teach children and how to share his word with um, young young children and middle-aged children then, and then teenagers as they got older. And so I homeschooled them, and I had many opportunities to do that. Um, in 1980, my husband and I started attending John Piper's church. David eventually joined the staff. 
and I joined in 1996 as Minister for Children. He was in family discipleship at the time. And um, that's when we, st- when we started looking for curriculum uh, in the new role in family discipleship. And I looked and looked and looked, and I told David, I said, I cannot teach any of this stuff. I said, uh, and he, he said, well, I guess you're going to have to write something. And I said, yeah, I think I'll keep looking. <laughs> and so I kept looking, and I would bring stacks of curriculum home. And I, I was so frustrated because I couldn't really find something that would teach in a comprehensive or um, with, a, with a logical scope and sequence or actually teach the Bible to children. And so David kept saying, well, you need to write. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And he said, well, the Lord does. <laughs> How do you argue with that without logic? And he says, just ask him how to, just ask him to show you how to do it. So I corralled my friend, Jill Nelson. We used to take walks and talk about how to teach the Bible to children. I said, hey, listen, if I have to do this, you're going to do it too. (laughs) I didn't give her much of a choice. And so she joined me and we just started writing curriculum for our church, just to teach the children in our church. And then other churches, because we were church, they would call and say, what curriculum are you using? And we said, well, actually, we're writing our own. And then will you share it with us was the next question. And that's kind of how Children Desiring God, which is now True 78, was born. So we just want to make it available to other churches. And now um, True 78 is um, an organization that is concerned about the discipleship of the next generation. They want children, they want parents and children to love and treasure Jesus Christ. And, um, and so we produce not just curriculum, but also family resources for the comprehensive discipleship of the next generation. And um, it's an exciting ministry to be part of. It's a small growing ministry. And we have a wonderful staff of dedicated, solid Christians that just want to teach biblical truth and to capture the hearts of children uh, for the Lord. And um, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, that's, re- yeah, that's really great, Sally. And it's great to hear, um, sort of how truth 78 came about. Um, and, and, and now to see the, the resources that, that, uh, you all produce. Um, and we, we come to this book, uh, more than a story. This is the, the second volume on the, on the new Testament. Um, maybe we could start out just just by asking why did why did you name the book more than a story? Well, you know, we have so many resources um, for children, including Bible story books, and they're written in a very engaging manner. But what is lacking is, I think, a comprehensive overview covering the breadth and depth of the message of the Bible. And they also present the Bible pretty much as a storybook. You know. With, reiterating many of the stories of the Bible, but that's um, a lot of what uh, we see in children's literature, Bible literature. And more than a story attempts to fill in those gaps and give children a a solid foundation of the manifold character of God, the plot line of the Bible, and key doctrines in a child-friendly, I hope, engaging and yet respectful manner. It, it also incorporates many of the non-narrative portions of scripture, not just the stories. Um, I think children need to be exposed to the wisdom of Proverbs, the comfort of the Psalms, the warnings and promises of the prophets, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the reminders of the gospel and instructions for Christian living in the letters, 
they need a solid foundation of truth in order to develop a strong faith in God. And so I wanted to get away from the idea that the Bible is mainly a story, because while it is full of fascinating and exciting stories, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that it is also the authoritative, clear, necessary, sufficient word of God. Therefore, the t- title, More Than a Story, was born. And the tone, though it's appealing to children, is very respectful and honoring of the Bible. I think there's an appropriate sobriety regarding the seriousness of sin, as well as glorious, exalting joy in the redemption bought by Jesus. So I tried to treat, teach solid truth of the Bible and still make it engaging to children, make it interactive and creative. And I also included many actual texts from the Bible because I want children exposed to God's word. You know, my words are just my words. It doesn't have power. They don't have power. But God's word is powerful. And I wanted them to be reading the actual text from the Bible, God's actual words. Mm-hmm. Well, Sally, that's helpful because you, you, you mentioned the tone there. Um, and, I'm, and you've also mentioned you, your, your background as a, as a teacher of the Bible. How did that history as a, as a, as a Bible teacher sort of determine the tone uh, and the focus of the book? You know, I, I've taught, I think, almost every grade from first grade up through eighth grade. I've taught a lot of children. And my experience in teaching children who grew up in the church is they often have a very sketchy knowledge of the Bible and a very simplistic understanding of its, its teachings. So I, it, it's not unusual for children from Christian homes to have head knowledge without heart knowledge. And... I, one of the most frightening verses for me in the Bible is Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I, I am at heart a teacher, not a writer. Writing is just a medium to expand the scope of my teaching. So when I'm writing to children, I'm intent on teaching them solid, life-giving truth. I am very intentional about giving them a logical soap and sequence to give them accurate knowledge, to ask the hard questions because they're going to get those hard questions, to teach them to think and draw conclusions, to see themes and patterns in scripture, and to be able to accurately interpret the text. But I also acknowledge that good teaching is not just filling children's minds, but it's helping them to engage with the knowledge. It's helping them to interact with what they're learning, to see connections between the Bible and their own lives. It's helping children to learn to wrestle with hard truths and the glorious truths in order to engage their hearts. So ultimately, I think the prayer of every good Bible teacher is that the will of the child is influenced through trust in God. So when I write, I'm actually teaching and I intentionally try to inform the mind, engage the heart and influence the will. And you'll notice in more than a story, at the end of every chapter, there's an application box there. And that's because we don't want to just read the story to the children. We want them interacting with the story, the, the chapter and the truths in the chapter and saying, so what does it mean in my life? 
Well, Sally, there's also really engaging uh, imagery in in the book. Um, I'm assuming your choice of of the illustrator was purposeful too. Uh, can you say something about the images uh, in the book? Uh, what kind of images did you want to accompany uh, this text? You know, I that that's that was a very intentional choice. I wanted images that gave proper respect to God's word. I wanted mm-hmm. to portray real people in real events, in real places, to show that Bible stories are true stories that really happened in history. I didn't want cartoon figures. Um, I wanted figures that looked real. Um, So having, and also having biblically accurate illustrations was really important. Um, In More Than a Story, here's an example, in More Than a Story Old Testament, there's the story of the crossing of the Jordan River when Israel went in to conquer Canaan. And um, I didn't want what you often see in children's book where Joshua is leading the people. I wanted to portray something that's biblically accurate and faith building. And so I asked our illustrator to put the priests in the water with the Ark of the Covenant. And that's the picture I wanted. And that's because it has a great spiritual truth that it conveys. And that is that God goes before his people. Um, he led his people into the promised land. He kept his promise to help them conquer that land. And the hero of that story is not Joshua, it's God. It's Almighty God who works, is with his people and works his wonders to fulfill his providential plan. And I think details like that portray great spiritual truth. So I wanted pictures that portrayed spiritual truth. I also think it's crucial that those pictures portray real emotion and Carefully crafted, prayerful illustrations have the power to speak to the heart. I remember when my children were young that I bought a children's Bible story book that I didn't really care for the book, but it had one picture in it that captured my heart. And that it was a powerful picture. It's actually a picture of um, Israel in battle. And above it, in the clouds, you saw a picture of the lion of Judah. It's the lion's face. And it just captured my heart that the real battle was God. God was fighting for his people. And I bought that book just for that picture. And to this day, 60 years later, I still remember that picture. And it still strengthens my soul. So I wanted illustrations like that. Where do you go to find illustrations like that? It's a rare thing. And I think God in his providence brought a man named Fred Ass, who was in England, out of retirement to illustrate this book. And there are more than 470 illustrations in the Old and New Testament volumes. This is a huge job for this man. And um, he gave us pencil drawings. We corrected them. We asked, told him the emotions we wanted in them, what, how specifically we wanted them. Some of, the, some of the pictures came from other books of his because to draw 470 pictures is a lot. But many, many of them, probably more than the majority, we got to commission and tell them exactly what we wanted. And that's because we wanted to portray important biblical truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think they really do accomplish accomplish that um, in in portraying biblical truth. Um, they are really engaging and and tell the story that um, you know that that you're setting out to tell. Um, you know, you've noted already that uh, one of the goals of more th- more than a story is to teach children 
Bible study skills, how to, how to study the Bible. Um, have you found that parents uh, don't feel equipped to do this or is, is this difficult for churches too? Uh, you know, I think we underestimate children. I think parents underestimate children. We certainly underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit because I think children can be taught to look at a text, to answer questions about the text, to define words, to wrestle with the meaning of the text, to draw conclusions and discern truth. And the simple skills of observation, what does the passage say? Who, what, when, where, how, why? Um, And interpretation, what does the passage mean to me? Application, how does the meaning of this text apply to me personally? They really can be taught to children through prayer and practice. Children can make amazing connections when they're taught the Bible because the Holy Spirit works through his word. It's not just us at work. The Holy Spirit's at work, work, and he is faithful to bring forth fruit. The problem is that we don't often expose children to the actual words of Scripture. And so we fail to give them the opportunity to discover biblical truth that the Holy Spirit wants to use to work in their hearts. An example of this is we had a little little child, less than three, so she was in the nursery at our church, and she had learned the Bible verse, um, no one can serve two masters. She went up to preschool and when she was three, and the teacher was telling the story of Jadmet, Meshach, and Abednego being asked to bow down to the idol. And she asked the class, should they do this? And this little girl got very agitated. And she says, they can't, they can't, because of that verse. And we had the verses on the wall, and they all had a symbol with them so that the children could recognize the symbol because they couldn't read. And she pointed to, no one can serve two masters. Now, that's pretty, I, I think that's pretty advanced thinking for a three-year-old to be able to make that connection. But she was able to do it because she had been taught a verse. And when the time was right, the Holy Spirit brought it to her mind and to her heart. And she was agitated and knew that it was wrong for these men to do this. So I don't think the problem, I mean, it's not hard to teach a child. No one can serve two masters. So I don't think the problem is that parents and children in the church aren't equipped. I think the problem is there's not intentionality to teach our children to be Bereans, to examine the scriptures daily. How often do we ask children to read a text? Just read it and then ask a question about it. How often are they asked to define words or linger over a text or ponder its meanings or its implications? And I think we simply need to strive for interactive discussion between parents and children and to do it intentionally. It's not hard to open up the Bible, read a verse, and then ask a question and get children thinking. And I think every parent is equipped to do that. I just remember sitting on my couch and just praying, Lord, what should I, what should I ask my children? How do I get this truth across? I remember reading um, Ken Taylor's Bible storybook, um, the book for children to my daughters, and just stopping and asking questions like, how do you think the princess got to just the right place at just the right time that Moses was there in the basket? You know, just asking a simple question and, and them having it dawn on them God did that. He brought her there. He brought the basket there. He made that connection. And, and I just think it's, we just don't, aren't intentional when we teach children. It's not that we're not able. 
We just need to pray, ask God for help and open our mouths and be intentional. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, as we're thinking about um, children processing, um, you know, the bits of scripture concepts that we find in the text. Uh, one thing you notice when you scan the book uh, here is that uh, more than a story, it isn't afraid to ask children to look at topics like sin and sin's effects. Uh, how do how do children process a, a topic like that? Zach, you know, I think children are pretty matter of fact, and they don't have the emotional baggage that adults have to cloud their thinking. And they more readily accept hard truths than adults do. In fact, I found that in teaching the providence of God, I had more adults that struggled in that Sunday school class. They were, they were small group leaders for these children than the children did. The adults were the ones that struggled. And that's because they have emotional baggage that children don't have. Children just accept things. And I, and I think for one, re- one reason is that for children, suffering and difficulty are not personal issues. They're academic issues. Adults have, have lived through those things. And if they don't have a solid foundation, they don't know how to process them. That said, I do think it's very good for children to feel uncomfortable and even concerned about the right things. My former pastor, John Piper, said, if we don't know our real plight, we may not recognize God's rescue when it comes. And I remember reading a quote from Randy Alcorn where he said, fear of hell serves as a merciful call to repentance. And I think that's very true. And unfortunately, I think today parents want to insulate their children from discomfort. But I think it's good for children to struggle with their spiritual condition. We want them to feel the discomfort of being a sinner and the deserving of the wrath of God. Struggle is part of the process of making real faith, of owning our sin and embracing the gospel. And I think the cross is meaningless, really, to a person who does not understand that he is under the just judgment of God. So when we minimize sin, we minimize Christ's substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. So more than a story does present the essence, pervasiveness, and the problem of sin. And I think we're serving our children when we teach the seriousness of sin because their inter- eternal souls are at stake. But, but, and this is a big but, we must pair that sober news of judgment with the glorious good news of the gospel. So they treasure the Savior. So they run to him for rescue. So they put their trust in his work on the cross. I mean, Good, this is good news if you realize that you're lost. To find a solution to your sin problem is a joyful thing. So, yes, more than a story presents the bad news, but it surely portrays the glories of God's mercy, the incredible forgiveness for sin paid on the cross, and the glorious message of the gospel. And it presents the good news as good news. And the good news of a merciful God permeates this. I think perhaps one of the most priceless comments I received about more than a story came from a parent who told me about his 11-year-old son who was reading more than a story on his own. And so the dad asked his son what he had been learning by reading the book. And his son's comment was, sin is great, but grace is greater. And if that's what children glean from this book, praise God for his faithfulness. What a wonderful truth to have embedded in his soul. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that is really good. You know, Sally, if we if we zoom back just for a minute, um, you know, you we've we've mentioned how this uh, this volume um, it it comes after this volume on the on the Old Testament. Um, I'm wondering if you can share with us maybe how the two volumes connect. Um, how does how does this new new volume on the New Testament uh, relate to the the previous volume? Well, as you know, Zach. Old Testament it ended at the 400 years of silence. All the people, stories, events, words of warning, wisdom, hope, promises were all pointing forward to the culmination of God's glorious promises for his people through the coming of his beloved son, Jesus the Savior. So the New Testament is the continuing story of the Old Testament. Actually, planned originally to put them all into one volume, but they were too long to do that. And so they were <laughs> split into two volumes. And, and also there was a problem with getting the artwork in time. But the format is basically the same for both of these books. The illustrations were drawn by the same artist, just like the Old Testament. The New Testament is pretty chronological in order. It includes historical narratives. It tells the continuing story of God's redemption. And intentionally it shows that connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, the application boxes are labeled making you wise for salvation um, from 2 Timothy 3.16. And then in the New Testament, um, they are, they're labeled that you might believe. And I, and I think that's the continuing story that I want children to see is all of this buildup in the Old Testament is so that you might believe. You're receiving this understanding of God, this knowledge of redemption, this this history of his people, the promises of God, the prophecies of the prophets to lead up to the fact that there is a Savior coming. And, um, and, and the New Testament shows the fulfillment of God's good divine design to send his son to redeem man. And it calls children to trust in Jesus. In addition, there are several chapters summarizing the letters in the New Testament. There are extra pages of explanation because we are wanting to teach solid theology for children. It's an example that there is a section labeled the Old Testament pointed to Christ. And it just shows the connections between some of the Old Testament pictures of Christ and the fulfillment in, in Jesus the Savior. Um, the foreshadowing of Christ that in the Old Testament, and the New Testament reality of who Christ is and what he has done. Another example are the pages um, explaining the bad news in Romans and the good news in Romans. Uh, so we do have those extra portions. We have um, chapters on the letters. And of course, the New Testament ends with the glorious return of Jesus. Cause um, for great rejoicing. That's how the books go together the chronological story of of god's working with his people and god's calling the people to himself and um fulfilling what he has said in the old testament and and the great culmination that will come at the end of history well sally you've been really generous with your time now um and this is all really good content that you've given us. Um, so I want to ask one more question, though, before we part. Um, and that's about the importance of this book 
for this moment in history. Why, why is this book so important for children at this particular juncture in history? Well, Zach, I think it's no, no secret that life seems really difficult these last few years with so much that's going on in the world. And rather than just being a particular event, I would say the message of providence is what is evil, the persuasiveness of sin and the effect of the fall, and the re- reality of peace and glory are the truths that hold fast our hope and faith. Know that God is sovereign and he is good. To know that all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. To know that weeping endures for the night, that joy comes in the morning, that this light and momentary affliction is gaining for us an eternal weight of glory, steadies the soul, and informs our emotions. So I think it's basic as the whole message of the Bible that gives us great hope and meaning and of, of the events that are, are surrounding us. Now, there are some particular stories that I think we could all point to, such as um, the story of Joseph, that what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. The truth that God is always at work accomplishing his purposes and what others meant for evil, God turns for good, is intended for um, is, is a good thing for children to see. It's easy for children to see God's faithfulness to Joseph and the offspring of Abraham through that story. I think another one could be the woman with the issue of blood. It shows children that you can exhaust all that the world has to offer, all of their resources, and come up empty-handed. But just one touch of Jesus' garment healed her. Um, there are things in this world that we just can't fix. We all need to turn for, to Jesus for healing in this broken world. And I th- think when children see the brokenness in this world, that every system this world has fails because man's heart is sinful, that no social program or government or laws can change hearts. Um, they begin to understand the only sl- solution for the human condition is repentance and forgiveness that is offered at the cross. Um, I, so I, I do think it's the sweeping message of the Bible mostly that gives particular meaning in this difficult times. Yes, there are individual stories, but just a theology of suffering, a theology of God's sovereignty over evil and over suffering and over um, difficulty, the, a, a theology of God's faithfulness, of his promises coming true, a theology that makes helps you to understand who God is and that he has eternal purposes and that he will accomplish all of his purposes and that he is good and he brings good out of difficulty and suffering and evil and he will bring history to a glorious culmination. I think it's what steadies our hearts. I think understanding the promises of God is what holds us steady in difficulty. And that's all the way through more than a story. I I really appreciate that wisdom, Sally. I think that's well said. And um, well, I want to thank you again, just for writing this book. Um, It's, it's called the new Testament uh, volume of more than a story. It was published with truth 78, just at the end of 2021. And Sally, thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. And thank you for reading this book with your daughter. That's wonderful. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you all for listening, too. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network.